just uh, focusing on writing for the last month. I've got a really special guest with me tonight, 19-year-old Constance Kumbi, and uh, that's a joke. She's born on uh, February 29th, so she only gets uh, a birthday once every long while. But uh, Constance has been researching the same topics that I've been researching, only for about four times longer than I have, and I've got about a thousand books behind me. She's got about a hundred thousand books behind her and throughout her place. And uh, so Constance has really dug through all of this research for years. She began when I was 10 years old. I started exposing all of this when I was about 39. So uh, she's got quite a history of, of research in this area and the new age and whatnot. Constance is a lawyer, and uh, she's published two books. What are the titles of your books? My two books, uh, there's a third book I'm a co-editor, a co-author on, but my two books are uh, The Hidden Dangers of the Rainbow. That was a 1983 book. The New Age Movement and Our Coming Age of Barbarism was a subtitle. And my second book is A Planned Deception, The Staging of a New Age Messiah, which was 1986 released. And uh, how did you get on the planned deception of the Messiah topic? Well, I discovered a book shortly after Hidden Dangers was released in a Portland, Oregon bookstore. And the book was called The Armageddon Script by Peter Lemassurier. And the book was full of plans for staging a phony second coming of Christ. The theory was that there were archetypal expectations out there. And that as long as humanity had these expectations in their consciousness, they would not get on with the real work of rebuilding things. And so they would stage this phony second coming with enough detail to make the average Christian think it was Jesus, the average Jew think it was the Messiah, the average Muslim to think it was the Imam Mahdi, and uh, sell it possibly to the Hindus as Krishnamurti, so on and so forth. And the book, It was a plan that would appeal to everybody. It would appeal to the atheists because it would get those archetypal expectations out of everybody's mind. It would appeal to socialists because it called for a redistribution. It had something for everybody. And there were some very famous psychologists who had endorsed the work. The last chapter of the book, the ending of the book had the creepiest thing I have ever read. It said their script is now written subject only to last minute editing and stage direction. Down in the pit, the subterranean orchestra is already tuning up. Even now, the walk-on parts are waiting in the wings, ready for the curtain to rise. The time for action will have come. The action being what had been laid out in that book for which there was obviously a great deal of support in the New Age community. The book was published by those uh, people running Findhorn community in Scotland, which I'm sure you became aware of over the years, in Northern Scotland, the Peter and Eileen Caddy. And it was with their Thule printing press, T-H-U-L-E, which is interesting, that was the name of Hitler's original super secret society. And 
they um, they were moving on it. There was a portion of the book it discussed the opposition that would be there, and they said they didn't have to worry about the old age. This book was released in 1980 before they knew they had serious opposition or a backlash on the new age movement. And they said they did not have to worry about the opposition, that the opposition, the massed forces of the old age would go on to defeat each other in a massive mutual venting of long pent up aggression. And basically the theory was they would do this. They would fight each other to the death. The Jews and the Christians and the Muslims would all fight each other. The Catholics would fight the Protestants. Um, the Sufis, would, uh, the mystics of all groups would kind of be left alone. And they would go on to rise from our ashes and build their new society. And that was what they were confidently projecting back in 1980. Now they did not know they had a backlash the New Age community was confident that there was no backlash when Donald Keyes released Earth at Omega Passage to Planetization in 1982. And Norman Cousins, the famous editor of Saturday Review, wrote the introduction. And they were confident there was no backlash, but the backlash did develop. I'm happy to have, at least they've alleged that I've been part of their backlash. And they, um, I think now they're probably in the process of executing the things they were boasting about then. Right. And, you know, I've, I've done, I don't know, probably a couple hundred shows or more trying to expose this entire agenda. What in 1981 kicked you off to start researching this? My husband had a tremendous accident in late 1979 and he was hospitalized for almost six months and lost both legs above the knee. And it wasn't generous motor that hit him either. It was uh, some driver with $20,000 worth of insurance. Fortunately, he was on the job, so a little bit of workers' compensation kicked in, uh, enough to help live on. But I was making my way through that, just groping from one day to the, to the next. And there was a Methodist bookstore across the street from my downtown Detroit law office. I was in the Penobscot building when I found most of these books. And I found books on the shelf that didn't resonate with anything I remembered from Sunday school. And I thought, where are they getting these things? And they said, we could worship God and call him Buddha. We could worship God and call him Krishna. God's ways weren't our ways. Perhaps he intended for us to know him by these various pagan monikers. And they were talking about some concepts, transformation, a paradigm shift. Up until I discovered the New Age movement, I thought perhaps paradigm meant 20 cents. To, but um, they were, they wanted to make this drastic change. We had to have a new way of seeing things, a new way of thinking. And I found it first in books that purported to be religious. I had a background as a legislative analyst, speech writer, um, before I became an attorney even. And so I was used to taking things apart and looking for their origins. And so I, um, started tracking down some of their sources, claimed sources, and it was leading me to places where my mother as a child told me not to go to all called bookstores. <laughs> right. <laughs> and 
um, I started putting the pieces together. The first really serious book I read on it was The Aquarian Conspiracy by Marilyn Ferguson. Marilyn Ferguson. Just happened to have a, here's a copy sitting here. Yep, I have it. I've read most of it. I still haven't finished it. It's so awful. Every time I've uh, read it, I haven't finished it, you know. And I, I notice you have that Colts book on your shelf back there. I've got that one, too. Well, and, and mixed reviews on that one. You're right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Walter Martin fought me tooth and nail. He got the word on the New Age movement got out absolutely no thanks to him. He fought me tooth and nail for several years. And then just before he died, he released a book that, in essence, copied part of what I had. And uh, it was a tough time for me. That was that was 1989 when I discovered this book, a bookstore in Washington said, well, that, that's your work. You should write a letter to Bethany. Add insult to injury, he'd misspelled my name in his bibliography, which oh, no. uh, anyway, um, it was, um, but um, anyway, I had, I had struggles. I, I had no idea that where the opposition would come from. I had support came from where I often least expected it. Opposition came from where I often least expected it. And I was about your age when I discovered this stuff too. I was, I was, um, it was 1981. And so I was getting pretty close to your age when I discovered it. 82 was when my work became nationally known. I was 38 then. Well, I'm so, about a decade older than that. Uh, well, that's <laughs> now. And I'm, I'm a few decades older than that now. <laughs> right. But uh, any, anyway, the Marilyn Ferguson quoted from something called the Aquarian Gospel of Jesus the Christ, which I think I've got lurking back here somewhere also. Did anyway. And, uh, and she, um, for some reason, I thought it might be uh, important. And I tracked that book down the next day at the Methodist bookstore, no less. And there were several things that were clues to me in the front of the book. And then chapter 14 said, a mighty master soul will come to earth, a light greater than Jesus to light the way to the throne of perfect man. And I slammed that book shut. And I said, that's a direct satanic prophecy involving the Antichrist. And um, I was just determined to learn more about it. I carried the Aquarian conspiracy and I carried the Aquarian gospel of Jesus the Christ with me everywhere I went for the next couple of weeks. And the first day I carried it around, I caught my, I was just wanting somebody to pick up on it and respond to it. And the first day after I had the two books at court and a young, an a young attorney on the other side of the case from me came over across the room and he was just beaming and he said i see you have the aquarian gospel well i made a terrible mistake i told him what i thought of the aquarian gospel what i thought of the aquarian conspiracy and what i thought of the collective intelligence of those buying into it uh, not very tactful not very nice and not very designed to win converts <laughs> Well, his face darkened and he said, that's my wife's thing. I don't know much about it, but I could tell from the initial beam on his face that it was his thing too. Well, I decided not to operate that way anymore. 
And I continued to carry the, carry the books around. And the next person I ran into was a candidate for city council who I had known personally for several years who had introduced me to a woman by the name of Phyllis. In fact, I'll say her name, she's gone now. So Phyllis Warren. And they, um, he said he was going to run for city council. And at that point, I had nothing on my mind but what I was looking at. I wanted to go to the nearest church, curl up under the altar and stay there until the second coming so I wouldn't get in any more trouble in my life. And I was on a, one Sunday night, I was on my way to church and he had called me the Friday before and said he was definitely going to run. And they would have a coming out party at his house that coming Sunday night. And if I would join them, they would be very pleased. And I said I would go, but I really had no intention of going. And I'm heading to church and all at once I thought you'd better go to that party. Somebody's likely to be there who knows about this. If they're not at this party, it's not big enough to worry about because Marilyn Ferguson had said that this movement was vast and that they were seeking power only to disperse it to others. And I didn't know too many people who did that. So I uh, decided to head to the party, went in. It was difficult to chit chat with this and the possible end of the world on my mind. And his campaign manager was the lady he had introduced me to 14 years earlier, who one year earlier, I had had a very strange conversation with when my husband was being discharged from the hospital. And she came by in the Penobscot cafeteria, the, uh, the, the Penobscot building, the colonnade cafeteria. And I invited her to join us. My law clerk and I were seated there. And she sat down and said, how are you, Connie? And I said what I said to everybody in those days, terrible. And she said, well, what's wrong? And I told her about my husband's accident. She said, Connie, she said, that's no trouble at all. I can come over and heal him for you. I said, you can? She said, yes, I've been studying healing. I said, well, I'm sure if you think you can heal him, you must have. But tell me, Phyllis, how do you plan to accomplish that? He lost both legs above the knee. She said, with cosmic energies I received from the universe. <laughs> well, I managed. And how's to your husband today? Did his legs grow back? <laughs> no, uh, he's still upstairs, still living, thank God. But it's been, but anyway, I've, uh, my law clerk and I made it to the elevator. We miraculously kept straight faces and hadn't laughed at her because I never would have learned the rest had we done that. And we, um, we got up to the office and I was laughing so hard. I almost hyperventilated. And I said, if she comes over and puts those legs back on him, she will make a believer out of me. <laughs> and I didn't think it would give it one more thought. It was a very busy year. Everything was going on. And I had stumbled onto the, to, uh, the materials that I suspected. Marilyn Ferguson's book, The Aquarian Gospel. And here, Phyllis is the campaign manager for the city council candidate. And she said to the audience, she said, when you see Al, you are to visualize him in the councilman's chair. In your mind, he is already the councilman. And through this, she said, I have been a student of the mind sciences for the last 21 years. And I had known her 14 of those 21 years. 
And she said, you, she said, through this act of visualization, you will gain the cooperation of the higher powers of the universe who will work to bring your vision into manifestation and Al will be the consulate. Well, I started thinking mind sciences, visualization, guided imagery. Those were things Marilyn Ferguson discussed in the Aquarian Conspiracy. So as soon as the party broke up, I approached her and I said, Phyllis, I said, I heard you mention the mind sciences. She said, yes. I said, years ago, I read a book by a plastic surgeon named Maxwell Maltz, and he was talking about the mind sciences. I said, maybe I could take you to dinner and you can tell me more about it. And she said, sure. And I so helped me. I did not know they had a saying in their movement that when the pupil is ready, the master will appear. And I had offered her a free dinner to go with the duty. Well, we headed for a deli, she recommended. And we sat down and, and started talking. And I said, now tell me about the mind sciences. She said, it's part of the new age movement. That was the first time I'd heard those three words together the new age movement. She said, I don't know if you've heard of it or not. I said, well, not at least by that name. Is it known as anything else? She said, it's known as the new consciousness movement, the networking movement, the age of Aquarius. And at that point, I held up the Aquarian gospel. And I said, is this by any chance part of it? And she beamed ear to ear. And she said, well, yes, it certainly is. And so she relaxed. And and I said, well, what do you do in this movement? She and she, said, and she didn't know you were a Christian at this point. No, she didn't know. She, uh, she, I, I said, um, and I had been a political activist and, and the Alice Bailey books, which she was a student of, said, if you see somebody who's been active in progressive causes, you are to assume they have taken at least one, possibly two initiations and your duty to take them further is clear. And she wasn't one to shirk her duty, especially with the free meal attached. Uh, I didn't, um, uh, and I had been active in, in those things and, and knew her from those circles. Well, she, um, I uh, asked her what we, they did in the movement. She said, we can communicate with code words and signals. I said, Phyllis, I've been studying on my own for a little while, best I could without a good teacher like you to help me. And I think I may know some of the words. And I said, can you help me? And she said, yes. And I said, holistic. She almost fell off her chair. Spaceship Earth, global village, crowded planet, paradigm, transformation. And, um, and she told me a few more to add to my vocabulary. And then I said, well, communicating is fine and fun, but what are we communicating about? She said, we believe the mind operates on principles, just as one's body operates on principles. And if you want your mind to work effectively for you, you must know those principles. I said, well, that sounds logical enough to me. What are the principles? And she told me a few that went in one ear and out the other. I'm sure now I would, they would register knowing what I know now. And then she said, the most important principle of all is karma. <laughs> And when she said karma, I said, karma, karma. I said, Phyllis, could this possibly have anything to do with Eastern mysticism? She said, well, yes. She said, uh, and I asked her if it had anything to do with Eastern religions. She said, yes, Eastern religions are part of this, but we're much larger than the Eastern religions. And I did an inward gulp. She was just talking about two thirds of the world's population and saying that's nothing. We're lots bigger than that. So then I told her, I said, I might as well tell you, I've read the Aquarian Conspiracy. 
And when I said that, she frowned deeply and she said, Marilyn Ferguson is a friend of mine. We've given workshops together. We've appeared on the same speakers platform together, but you have to remember her limitations. She didn't really tell it the way it is. And I said, well, Phyllis, I said, I read that book and it looked really well written to me. What's wrong with it? And she spelled out, she said, the movement is much, much larger than she described it as being. Well, I've, um, I then said to her, I said, Phyllis, I said, in my spare time since Barry's accident, I've become quite the Bible scholar. And I am convinced beyond any reasonable doubt to me that this might be what was prophesied as the last day movement that would bring the Antichrist on the scene and install him in power. And I thought she'd say, you're nuts. That's what I would have said to her. And she said, oh, yes, she said, that's very perceptive of you. She said, I have been convinced of that for many years myself. And so I had some books in the pile with me. And I had the Aquarian Gospel, which on in the introduction said, one may enter fully into the spirit of the God of force. And I turned to Daniel 11:38, and the, both it's written that way in both the King James and the Douay Reims versions of the Bible. One, uh, one, uh, he shall honor in his estate the God of forces, a God whom his fathers knew not. And I showed that to her. And she said, you saw it. You saw it. She said, that is such an important point. Most students of esotericism fail to grasp it immediately. Well, I wasn't thinking I probably could have taken over the Theosophical Society. I don't know and shut them down that way, but I don't know. But anyway, uh, she, um, uh, she said, and also she said, you must remember that in the New Age movement and at Unity, we believe that Jesus and the Christ are two separate entities. The Christ is an office, not a man. And I just then, and I just, and I'd heard enough. And I just involuntarily said, 1 John 2, 22, who is a liar, but he that denieth Jesus is the Christ. He is antichrist, denieth the father and the son. Well, John, she suddenly had two mystic crystal revelations. A, I, Constance Cumbie, did not want to run off and join the age of Aquarius. And B, she, Phyllis Warren, had told me far too much. And she started trying to take it back. And she said, you know, it's very difficult for me to talk to you. I have received a vision of light. Well, they all have that in common. They think they're seeing lots and lots and lots of light. They're illuminated. And she said, you should pray for wisdom that God would show you the hidden meaning of these Bible passages. And I said, well, Phyllis, I said, I'm, I said, I'm not a theologian. I can't, won't kid you about that, but I am a lawyer. And we were told, taught rules of construction, one being that where there is a plain and plain meaning that construction governs. Ambiguities are construed against the maker of the document. I don't know about you, but I have enough faith in God to believe he would not deliberately leave us an ambiguous document. And she said, are you familiar with the history of the Bible and how it was written and how contradictory it is? I said, I am familiar with the history of the Bible how it was written, but I disagree with you on the contradictory aspect. I said, tell me, Phyllis, have you read the Bible all the way through? She said, no, I've carefully avoided doing that because you, it tend to confuse me. Right. And have you ever noticed how when people spot read the Bible, it's probably the worst thing they can do. You got to read yeah. it all the way through. And read it all the way through, no substitute. But anyway, she uh, at that point, she was getting very unhappy. 
and our food was she said she'd received a vision of light that i should pray for wisdom well anyway our food was delivered and i can keep my priorities straight john i wasn't going to let the antichrist the devil or anything else interfere with a good meal and uh, i was biting happily into my food and she was not happy and all at once she just spouted out and she just started gritting it looked like a scene out of the exorcist she said it's just not right it's not right she's getting through that book is simply too misleading it shouldn't be allowed and i said what's that phyllis and she almost spit it out she said the bible i said why on earth would you say a thing like that and she said the antichrist is not the negative thing the bible's made him out to be and that's what woke me up and got me going because i thought good grief if we really have a movement out there that's even a fraction as big as marilyn ferguson claimed it was in the aquarian conspiracy where the average foot soldier knows all about the antichrist and is eagerly awaiting him we'd better wake up and smell the coffee we've been sleeping and uh, it's a few months after that that was march of 81 april november 4th 1981 benjamin krem spoke at the unity temple in uh, at the unity center for holistic living in uh, detroit michigan palmer park area and a packed auditorium they had bought the old christian science church which was huge across the street and had their 1300 seat auditorium and the the seats were filled and the people were standing the standing room was full and i had uh, discovered benjamin krem's work after following up on what phyllis had said and they um, several months had transpired i've left a lot out now but uh, benjamin krem spoke that night to a packed audience it was the it was one of the strangest things i've ever witnessed in my life and the crowd was obviously under mass mind control I saw people that were personal friends of mine in there for many years from similar circles. And I talked to some of them about it, why they were there. And one, Al Banks, a film producer, local film producer, he said, well, Connie, he said, I thought somebody as progressive as you would have joined Unity a long time ago. And anyway, I told him what my objections were and he thanked me. And at that point, Benjamin Krem walked across the stage and he did something with his hands that looked like that. I wasn't sure. I thought it was like a way, but when he did that, the crowd appeared to fly into a very deep trance. And some people have told me that's a six 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 symbol. Yeah, the o, the okay is typically six six six. But at 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 any rate, he started speaking. What he said was ridiculous, and they there was going to be the sort of cleavage for those who didn't come behind this. That there had been many Christs. That um, Jesus was a Christ. Moses was a Christ. Krishna was a Christ, everybody was Christ. And the audience was, looked like it was under a spell and Krem turned his, twice that evening, he turned his head and what was almost a 360 degree spin, why his head didn't come off, I don't know. He did it at the start of the program and he did it towards the end of the program before they recited the great invocation. But at the end of the program, when they uh, he told the audience to come forward for a recitation of the great invocation which was literally a prayer to lucifer to send the antichrist 
from the point of light within the mind of God may light stream forth. And I, a little black lady who looked like she could have been active in any black Baptist church in Detroit came and sat down next to me. And I said to her as gently as I could, I said, I, I hope it doesn't offend you, but I will not say the great invocation with you. And I said, I will say my own prayer. And she said, no, that's all right, honey. We all have our own paths to God. I said, the reason I will not say the great invocation is the scripture said clearly the Antichrist would come denying that Jesus was the Christ. I said, Benjamin Krem has denied that all evening and said that this Maitreya was the Christ. And the woman repeated what Krem said, there's been many Christs. I said, there's been one, his name is Jesus. And at that point, people from rows around looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> and anyway, Krem came in and this was the strangest, the next strangest thing I've witnessed in my life. I didn't appreciate how strange it was until later. Um, they started out doing the great invocation and the acoustics were wonderful. And I talked right over them. And they went from the point of light within the mind of God, may light stream forth. And I went, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And we got to, they did, I did that every stanza and they got to the last stanza, which read, may light and love and power restore the plan on earth and may it seal the door where evil dwells, which is their word for getting rid of the rest of us. And I said over that, I said, may Jesus Christ return to earth and end the evil present in this room tonight. Well, Benjamin Krem waited and he waited and he waited and he was clearly waiting for this thing to take him over and be overshadowed as his literature claims had happened to him everywhere. Didn't happen that night. And he said to the crowd, "You will that is all, you will be dismissed. And they had expensive taping going on. I suspect that the equipment had been furnished by John Earl Fetzer, who was the owner then of the Detroit Tigers and was thoroughly invested in it. I did not know about his participation at that point, but it has now all been made uh, public in a book released, John Earl Fetzer and the Quest, John E. Fetzer and the Quest for the New Age by Brian C. Wilson, a professor of comparative religion at, at uh, Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo, Michigan. But uh, anyway, they, um, um, the crowd was furious. They were getting ready to make a very, very professional video and that video never went anywhere. And I think I know why, but I went out the door and I, like I said, I knew a lot of the people there and they recognized me. I was well known in Detroit at that point. And they, um, the, the Dan Butts, the master of ceremonies for the evening and Michael Whitty, who was a professor at University of Detroit and activist also in the Democratic Party and they courted me and they were quite angry that I, I had done that. And I just said, well, I said, if you're Maitreya the Christ, Betrayer the Christ or whatever his name's supposed to be is everything he's cracked up to be one lousy Christian saying the Lord's prayer should not have stopped him. <laughs> right. But uh, anyway, um, those were some of the things that got me started among many. I frankly had too many things happen to me not to believe that God is there and that I've been under some form of protection uh, and it's, um, I've met many people who were on the other side, Barbara Marks Hubbard, uh, she's now gone, Marilyn Ferguson, 
And just uh, uh, looking for my Marilyn Ferguson book. Yeah, here's here's mine again. If they want to look at it yeah. again. Well, I just I, you know I've got mine highlighted all over the place, mm -hmm. but I'm not sure where I could. Oh, by the way, here's her here's her picture on the cover of one of the New Age journals. That was. Yeah. Yeah. Let me let me ask you a question. What do you what do you know about or uh, what are your thoughts on uh, Jordan Peterson and his uh, in regards to the New Age movement? Do you know anything about him? You've got me on that one. I there, there are other Petersons I'd heard of, but what? Well, uh, he he kind of came out in the last eight or ten years, and uh, you know, I, interestingly, and you you've read some of my work. He. He eventually took over Tim Leary's position at Harvard, if that doesn't tell you enough. Uh, well. But, you know, uh, you know, in fact, the, the person who's in the chat at, who's asking this question, he personally handed uh, my papers to Jordan Peterson. And, of course, uh, Jordan Peterson has now been handed my papers directly twice, and he's ignored them both times. Okay. Well... I, it's funny. I've I've met so many. The, so many of the New Agers read me very carefully. Marilyn Ferguson. Um, uh, I I would hear from them. They um, they would they would try to seek me out and to try to crowd my meetings, pack my meetings. It usually only happened once because they'd lose people every time to uh, that decided they didn't want to run off and join the Aquarian conspiracy anymore either. So, but um, the. Um, it's funny. I have a, another book behind me. You know, I call it the dawning of the age of hilarious rather than uh -huh. Aquarius. This is this is a this is a book. I've lost the gorgeous dust cover that was on it, but this is Earth and Omega: Passage to Planetization by Donald Keyes and Norman Cousins. That shows there. Interesting. I wonder if I and, have and, him and, in the and, database. And, and, and there, they boasted that they that there is no opposition that had developed. They didn't have a backlash. But Donald Keyes in 1985, and I was sent and listened to the tape several times. This is a page where they claimed there was no opposition. I wrote ha ha on the margin, but they didn't <laughs> have a backlash. But he, um, in 1985, he was giving a speech at Black Mountain, North Carolina, in the Asheville area. And he told the crowd, he was quite angry. He said, don't think for one minute you can have a world government. Keyes used to be the president of World Federalists and wrote speeches for the diplomats at the UN. And he, he said, don't think for one minute you can have a world government without having the head of that world government. And then he screamed, he said, you know, we've developed a backlash. And then he said, there's that book, The Dangers of the Rainbow. And I'll reach for mine. <laughs> that was, uh, and he went off, he, he went off. This is, this is my book, The Hidden Dangers of the Rainbow. And it, People would like to have it, and, and and they're like me. They don't want more paper cluttering their desk. I will send you an autographed copy of one of these. Uh, well, thank you. I would love an autographed copy of it. I will uh, definitely read it and uh -huh. but put it they, to good uh, use. Uh, but he just screamed. He said, you know, he said, we've developed a backlash. He said, there's that book, The Dangers of the Rainbow. And he went off and lived the rest of his life out as a hermit on Mount Shasta. <laughs> Well, good so, riddance, right? But the, but the publisher of this book, on the other hand, the publisher of this book came to see me, uh, sent me a letter, came to see me, said he had repented of his involvement in it, 
he had come out of it and he came oh, out. Oh, wow. Of it so he became a Christian. Wow. He stayed out of it, came out and stayed out. And I had a letter from Mark Satin, the author of New Age Politics, about a year ago. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll invite him to come on my radio program and talk. And uh, he, of course, he didn't want to do that. But anyway, he, um, I asked him in there how about uh, the publisher of this book. And he said, oh, that man had been a very big disappointment to him. Yeah, destroying uh, Babylon system says your cousins up north are currently getting shafted hard by the transhumanist shapeshifter uh, man-child pedo victim Trudeau. Yeah, well. Well, I don't know if I would say all that to him. He's the the Trudeau family. Uh, Daddy was involved in the Pierre Trudeau was involved in the New Age movement. So was his mother. She was a typical flower child. And, right and she was, like, she apparently had an affair with Castro, didn't she? Isn't that where Justin Trudeau? I don't know Trudeau, if she had an affair with Castro. I'd heard there was, was somebody else. I was, heard that, that, that Justin Trudeau is actually the, 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 the child of Castro. I mean, he yeah. certainly does look a lot like him. That's for sure. Well, <laughs> I there, don't know. There's a, there's a photo of Castro holding Justin Trudeau yeah. when he was a baby, there, too. There, there's this game uh, that the New Agers sometimes like to play. I call watch the fundamentalists run, and they'll plant outrageous things out there. And I have enough lawyer in me that I check things out first. Yeah, so. well, I, I did look into it a little bit. Of course, it's hard to find. And, you know, it's like trying to f- dig in uh, Obama's background. Everything's been erased and changed and, and whatnot, you know. Yeah, well. Yeah. Obama, I think, looks a lot like the guy in Chicago that some say he's really related to. So, yeah. So, uh, well, you know, in your uh, in your experience, well, you know, and before I go to that, I wanted to ask you. Uh, so, I've been kind of laying out some of the people who are the the founders of the New Age movement, and I've got the Fox sisters, the Frankfurt School, yeah. Helena Blavatsky. Elena Petrovna Blavatsky, right? Henry David Thoreau. Yeah, the transcendent transcendentalists. Yep. Uh, Michael J. Harner. Okay, now Harner is a new name to me. Tell me about Harner. Uh, he uh, he used to have the shaman, the way of the shaman, and he. Uh, oh, I think I've, I do have was, that his book in my library. Yeah, okay. and he he quit being a professor to go run off and bang drums and run run uh, yeah. drum circles. Yeah, I have his book. Jose Arguelles, who was uh, who's no longer with us, and uh, out of that 2012 hysteria. Barbara Marks Hubbard. Well, yeah. So speaking of the 2012 hysteria, the next name on the list is Terrence McKenna. Have you looked into him much? Yes. Yes. I have several of his books in my library. Yeah. And, yes, and, and he, I've, and he's, I've, he's yeah, he's he's a big player. I've been tracking him for years. Of course, I've been attacked relentlessly for exposing his connections and uh he, he's oh, got he's, a, never tried, he's never tried to hide those connections well he you know see. he put out a recording that he was recruited by the fbi or cia and and worked in deep background in public relations and people think oh well his own admission is all you've got yeah you know i mean no it's not all i've got but yeah. how is a recording of him saying that he was recruited and then what uh his, well, there could be two angles on it. Well, well sure. Well, it. his 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 brother Dennis McKenna came out saying, "Oh, well, Jan needs to take his medication because my brother was recorded uh, was recruited by the mushrooms." 
you know. <laughs> well, <laughs> there might have been that in there too. Marilyn Ferguson said LSD had given a whole generation. Of- <laughs> yeah, well, you know, of, of course, when you look at where he gave that talk, it was at Esalen, which of course is the, oh, yes. the big CIA front organization of, created by Aldous Huxley and Gerald Hurd. Well, that was the other thing of that, that schizophrenia was a breakthrough to higher consciousness. Right. Yeah. Well, no. you know, and I sent you one of my articles uh, called Entheogens, What's in a Name? And the eventually, or initially the drugs were called uh, schizophrenogens. So they, they generated schizophrenia in the taker, and then they renamed mm-hmm. them to psychotomimetics, to mimic psychosis. And then they were like, you know, we've done enough research in this area. Let's rename them again. And this was all within like a one-year period. So then between Aldous Huxley and uh, Dr. Humphrey Osmond, they named them psychedelic, which is what Leary carried them off to. And then under CIA MKUltra subproject 58, under Gordon Wasson and Professor Carl Ruck, they renamed them again to entheogens. And mm-hmm. these were all marketing strategies because, you know, kids aren't going to go do, out and do a bunch of ju- drugs called uh, schizophrenogens, you know. <laughs> so, that you know, psychedelic means to manifest the mind. So mm-hmm. once they did that, then they had this, mm-hmm. this great marketing angle. And then, yeah. and then, you know, of course, Timothy Leary was an admitted agent. But mm-hmm. then they I said... I assume you've seen, the, you've seen the play here. I have a long time ago. But then... You know, then okay. the claim is that Leary ruined the word psychedelic and gave it bad connotations, uh, which is nonsense. Mm-hmm. And so then uh, they had to create the word entheogen, which meant to generate God within. And of course, Professor Carl Ruck at Boston. And interestingly, Constance, my very first interview when I launched this show, episode number one, back in 2008, was with Professor Carl Ruck before I realized how dirty he was and how his academic work was fraudulent. And uh, so eventually I came out exposing him, and I exposed him hard in, in 2014 in that article I sent you. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, all these guys are a part of it. But, you know, you're like me, right? You know, you're labeled as a conspiracy theorist. And, you know, they tried I, they tried they tried to stick me with that. And the. Uh, uh, a lot of the new agers that came out of it didn't buy it because they knew I told the truth. Right. But, uh, the, the, the evangelical world was where they uh, really tried to, the, there were, like I said, I had support from about everywhere. I had opposition from about everywhere. But uh, I, what I discovered was that there were networks in the evangelical world that were act- actively plugged into this thing that Willis Harmon of um, SRI and the no Institute for Noetic Sciences had been invited in 1977 to give briefings to the to the evangelicals at the um, on on how to rewrite the theology. Jeremy Rifkin had been idolized, and that Paul Nathaniel Temple, who was the co-founder of the Institute of Noetic Sciences with Edgar Mitchell, and he, he was the money guy, so he was the important one, uh, was part of the core group of the Doug Coe's C Street operation in Washington, D.C. And so, and between that and Unification Church, which was also a powerful player in all this mess, there was lots of financial, um, there were a lot of financial incentives to try to discredit and shut down anything that stopped the flow of that money to some of those evangelical circles. Yeah, well, you know, uh, 
so I have some really good quotes, and people don't understand, you know, uh, who Harmon was. And uh, Willis, Dr. Willis Harriman, uh, he was at Stanford Research Institute, and um, he was a follower of uh, Rudolf Steiner and these guys. Of course, you know, they all have their Steiner, heroes. Bailey. Yeah, yeah he Bailey. Was, he but, tried to downplay that Bailey a little bit, or not Bailey. He tried to downplay Blavatsky a little bit. Yeah, he but had, he was... apologized for them criticizing the Madame Blavatsky. He was one of the key players behind the Changing Images of Man project out yeah, of Stanford Research Institute, and that was headed by none other than Joseph Campbell, and then uh, Margaret Mead was a part of that, as was, uh, you know, Carl Rogers, who headed, who, who created neurolinguistic programming. Mm -hmm. And then right out of the Changing Images of Man project, and they published two books on it. I managed to get both copies. It, it took me a while to track down version number one. But right out of that same group, we have Marilyn Ferguson of, you know, of the uh, well, Aquarian Conspiracy. Harmon was like a mentor to Marilyn Ferguson. Correct. And so, uh, you know, it, you know. in fact, uh, Dr. James Fadiman and I interviewed him, too, and he was the last person doing legal LSD experiments in 1970 or 71 when they outlawed it. Uh, he was still pushing the uh, MKUltra research then. So all of these guys were intel and CIA and whatnot, and they were all... <laughs> Uh, you know, contributing to the the uh, MKUltra project, basically changing images of man be, uh, is what was MKUltra, and they needed to create a new religion, which you discovered, you know, with the uh, New Age movement, and they wanted to create all of this airy fairy New Age hyperbole nonsense to get young people, rebellious, rebellious young people to go off and follow that and dismiss Christianity. And then they would, you know, it was basically a catch web that they would get them caught into all of this mind control stuff, get them away from Christianity and following Logos, and then uh, they could lead them down into a path of uh, socialism. Mm -hmm. Another really interesting player was H.G. Wells. Absolutely. Yeah, let's talk about him. And he was, of course... Um, he was, of course, a mentor to uh, Aldous, uh, Aldous Huxley. And, of course, Aldous Huxley is one of the key players of – he's probably the, the player of players. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he had been – there's an interesting book in my library on Huxley called Huxley in Hollywood. A lot of information in there on him and 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 the players. He was tight with the whole crowd as uh, his widow Laura was remained tight until her death. I think she's gone now. Yeah. And yeah. the uh, he um, and uh, of course the family. His family had been involved in similar pursuits that um, would have lent themselves to his taking that direction. And according to the Hollywood, the Huxley in Hollywood, that he had gotten interested in mysticism somewhere along the line and then was looking for ways that could replicate the mystical experiences and that he was, um, he had been first tried uh, and, and drugs eventually, eventually became an important part to him. Yeah, you know, it, it's always such a struggle to help people understand how the psychedelics or the psychotoma medics, I renamed them uh, uh, 
suggestogens back in 2014 because they cause hypersuggestion. But it's really hard to get these young people to understand how these suggestogens work by causing hypersuggestion. Anything that puts you in a trance will do what these folks, they don't care if they call it Christian meditation, Eastern meditation, transcendental meditation, LSD. Ecstasy was one that they hoped to put many, many eggs in the ecstasy basket. Oh, and, and they're still pushing that one hard, Maps. Well, they, and, uh, Marilyn, Ferguson, Marilyn Ferguson bragged to people, and they brought me the tapes. And she said, melanin has a lot to do with this, and Constance Cumbie knows nothing about melanin yet. I said, well, she can bet I'll find out. Uh, these folks went to, took their work to, up to Congress, and they managed to get it on ecstasy on the ban list for quite some time, but there were these famous people standing up defending it. One was a physician. Well, that was the husband of the Peggy Taylor, I believe her name was, the founder of New Age Journal. Another one was a monk. Well, the monk was but, Brother David Steindelrast. They, um, do you know, are you familiar with the trick that they use to uh, make these drugs popular with the kids? So Rick Doblin, who launched the uh, Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, he worked with MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Drivers, to help get uh, MDMA outlawed or ecstasy outlawed, and then he founds MAPS to help get it relegalized. So uh, it was was none other than uh, Dr. Timothy Leary, who went before Congress in 1966 and requested LSD's outlaw so that they could kick off the Summer of Love the next year. See, because kids aren't going to do, rebellious teenagers aren't going to do, uh, you know, schizophrenogens and legal drugs. So what they do is when they want to really push their mind control operation, they uh, they outlaw the drugs themselves. It's all a Hegelian dialectic, you know, uh, mm-hmm. thesis and uh, antithesis synthesis. So let me read you this really quickly. Okay, sure. And I'll pass it back over to you. Uh, okay. So this is, uh, you know, B- Walter Bowart, who ran the East Village Other, and he was in on it, and his wife was Peggy Mellon Hitchcock, and uh, his brother was Billy Hitchcock, who ran uh, Billy Hitchcock LSD Enterprises. And the family was one of the one of the wealthiest families of the Mellon Banking Empire, and they, uh, they fu- funded part of the CIA's creation and launching. So Peggy Mellon Hitchcock funded the Grateful Dead's first album. She funded If If and, uh, you know, some of these other things. So I'm going to just read this section here. Okay. Typically researchers, and I'm speaking about Boart, uh, typically researchers without an agenda would disclose to their audiences that they have a conflict of interest in matters such as these. The fact that Boart doesn't mention that his wife and in-laws funded all of this research, including the Psilocybin Project, if, if, the Millbrook Mansion and the Grateful Dead's first album, and that his own brother-in-law ran Billy Hitchcock LSD Enterprises, and that his wife and in-laws directly were directly rated, related to the Mellon Banking Empire, which also helped to found the CIA, forces the conclusion that there's an intentional cover-up going on here, and Boert was involved. Quote, Either an intentional cover-up or he was the white sheep of the family. <laughs> right. Well, definitely not because it gets better. So in 1968, uh, society, and this is quoting Boert, in 1968, society seemed to be 
become divided into those who had taken illegal drugs and those who hadn't. Of course, Borat was promoting all of this stuff in the East Village Other. Eventually, LSD, marijuana, and cocaine were available on the street corners and schoolyards throughout the land. The government had covertly supported the unwitting Leary and Associates. That's complete nonsense because Leary admits that he was recruited to the CIA. That's fully open in Boer's own letters, in fact. Uh, unwitting and, and Associates. The snowballing effect of their LSD propaganda now re caused a reversal of policy. So this is the official storyline that all the hippies and everybody believed. And one of the first things they'll say is, well, you know, if drugs are, you know, how come they outlawed the drugs then? And that's their justification for taking them. So in this next section here, furthermore, Boer claims that there was a reversal of policy, but he doesn't mention that he went with Leary to Congress in 1966 when Leary requested LSD's outlaw furthering the apparent dialectic started by Andrew Weil, with Leary getting <laughs> fired, air quotes, fired from Harvard. In the, uh, in the Narcotic Rehabilitation Act of 1966, hearings before a special subcommittee, 89th Congress, second session, we find Leary's tes testimony. And I sarcastically say, serendipitously, I should point out, that these quotes were omitted from all of the books that I could find that mentioned Leary's congressional testimony, forcing mm -hmm. a trip to the local university's congressional archives to discover the best omitted parts. And then Senator Dodd, don't you think that the drugs need to be put under control and restriction? Dr. Leary, pardon, sir. Senator Dodd, let me rephrase my question. Don't you feel that LSD should be put under some control or restriction as to its use? Dr. Leary, yes, sir. Senator Dodd, as to its sale, its possession, and its use, Dr. Leary, I definitely do. In the first place, I think that the 1965 Drug Control Act, with this committee, which this committee, I understand, sponsored, is the high watermark in such legislation. And then Leary continuing, yes, sir, I agree completely with your bill, the 1965 Drug Control Act. I think this is, and then Senator Dodd, that the federal government and the state governments ought to control it? Dr. Leary, exactly. I am 100% in agreement with the 1965 drug control bill. Senator Kennedy of Massachusetts. So there shouldn't be, Dr. Leary, I wish the states, I might add, would follow the wisdom of this committee and the Senate and Congress of the <laughs> United States and follow your lead with this exact kind of legislation. That's Senator... <laughs> Senator Kennedy of Massachusetts. So there should not be indiscriminate distribution of this drug, should there? Dr. Leary, I have never suggested that, sir. I have <laughs> never urged anyone to take LSD. I have always deplored the indiscriminate or unprepared use. So, you know, this is the whole scam going on with these guys. First, uh -huh. they outlaw the drugs to make them popular. And then they go around pre pretending like they're trying to get them uh, legalized again. So, you know, this is all the, you know, the dog and pony show. And, of course, Leary and all of these guys, uh, Dr. Chiu, let me just pull this up on the database on uh -huh. screen. They are all working for the uh, Harvard, uh, social, Harvard Social Relations Department. And... Uh, mm -hmm. So this includes Michael Hollingshead, who is one of these PR guys. 
Ralph right. Metzner, who died last year, Dick Alpert or Ramdas, who worked Ram there. Ramdas, yeah, Ramdas, Ramdas. Yeah, well, Ramdas, he he was actually a homosexual, Ram and he made his homosexuality sound spiritual. And then uh, Dr. Tim Leary, Thomas Chiu, Dr. James Fadiman, B.F. Mm -hmm. Skinner, and of course Fadiman, we already saw, was part of the Changing Images of Man pro right. project. Yes, he was. But these guys were all MKUltra doctors, and of course that department was headed by uh, Dr. Henry A. Murray, who was part of the MKUltra project. So all of these guys were in there now, interestingly. Oh, and then, of course, Dick Price, who is one of the co-founders of the Esalen Institute, was in yes, there. Yes, he was, yeah. And then... He was, uh, he was the one that was crazy. He yeah, was well, he, he a rock fell on his head and he died, you know. Right. But uh, one person that was in there that they did human experiments on that they really, really, really upset who tried to kill them all was a guy by the name of Dr. Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. And so, uh, you know, so these guys were all uh, in cahoots together, but they they actually got the drugs outlawed and it was the Harvard Social Relations Department. They were all Kaczynski. Kaczynski is also tied in with something that's really moving fast. And I guess he's a correspondent. And then uh, even from his prison cell, talking to folks right now and with a deep green, the deep green movement, the deep ecology movement. Really, and some of those folks are those. Some of those folks have some terrifying notions of what to do to the rest of us. Well, you know, well, he was part of that same group out of that department. I haven't seen his other he was stuff University with that. Of Michigan originally. Yeah, I think he he was from around here, unfortunately. So, uh, yeah, all these guys tie together. They they outlaw the drugs. They do a dog and pony show. And then Andrew Weil wrote up the, you know, in the did the write-up in the Harvard Crimson about how bad Leary and these guys all were to get them fired. And mm -hmm. then all of the hippie, rebellious teenagers would think, oh, well, they're trying to suppress Leary's spiritual message. And that was how they kicked off Leary's career as a guru. By the way, Larry and Marilyn Ferguson were good friends also. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt that. Well, I, I, was, I can tell you I witnessed it personally firsthand because they invited me to view a New Age event from Marilyn Ferguson's backyard, which I did at her invitation, and my publisher flew me out there. And uh, Timothy Larry was there right in the crowd, right in the backyard, having a picnic on the 4th of August, 1984. Wow. You know, years ago, I was working with the California Hemp Initiative back when I still believed that this stuff, you know, believed in this crap. And uh, I was invited with the group of about 30 or 40 of us to a uh, normal party, National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws Party, in Timothy Leary's backyard. Okay. So, yeah, I, you know, I've been to the man's house for, you know, very briefly and... Uh, in hindsight, the whole thing makes me want to vomit, you know. That, um, now, on regards to the melanoma, or melanin, melanin, when she said melanin had something to do with this, and they uh, talked to her about that, and then she said ecstasy was too important. They weren't going to let that go. And then they asked her, well, what would happen if you, because she kept emphasizing melanin, if you combined the natural substance melanin with ecstasy and she said that would give somebody a permanent altered state really are you familiar with adrenochrome 
I'm not. Okay, so this is gonna we're gonna take a little dark turn right here, but this should okay. probably bring, be brought up. A D E N O C H R O M E. Uh, adrenochrome, and uh, so it's okay. made from adrenaline, and how it's created, and the okay. Aztecs when they would do their human sacrifices and whatnot, and eat the mushrooms. Oh. Uh, this is what they were going for. Um, okay. What's his name? Uh, Al Hubbard, who is the Johnny Appleseed of LSD, would go around with tankfuls of, of adrenochrome. But uh, adrenochrome is related to uh, vampirism. And so basically what they do is they, you know, these, uh, let's call them pedivores, and we've got uh, Humphrey Osmond is behind this, Abram Hoffer, Aldous Huxley. Uh, but basically what they're doing is bloodletting. And uh, Hunter S. Thompson talks about, about this in his stuff too, and it falls under MKUltra Subproject 111 from my research. But what they do is they torture and traumatize someone and then drain their blood, and then the blood is filled with adrenochrome. And the adrenochrome ha is chemically... Uh, very similar to uh, psilocybin or peyote. And so they, you know, and then they eat or drink the blood of the, the victim. And this is, you know, gets related into lycanthropy or werewolfism as well. But uh, this is this whole thing behind young blood. And, you know, you hear these people that talk about uh, consuming blood and things to feel younger and whatnot. Uh, that's part of it. And the other part is they are getting high off of it mm. oh this uh, dino chrome i was i i was able to spell it because i was once the county spelling champion but that was, <laughs> that was a new word to me i had to confess so yeah when you look that stuff up i'm sure when you you know it's yeah. it's going to open quite a rabbit hole for you yeah. when you go Th down thanks that. to thanks to thanks to uh the folks that founded google right Oh, well, I already found it. Yeah. So I have some interesting citations here of the Aztecs uh, basically using this adrenochrome stuff. So let me read you this uh, Diego Duran quote, who was one of the original Spanish friars in uh, the new in New Spain, or you know what is now Mexico, back 500 years ago. And uh, let's see here. You know, and they water this stuff down uh, entirely when they, oh, it's, why is it not pointed it up for me here? Hold on a second. So I'm just looking for Duran's quote here, but it's really key to understand this whole dark side to the psychedelics and basically the whole New Age movement when they, mm -hmm. and the CIA, when they marketed all of this, none of this dark stuff fit the agenda of the new age lovey-dovey um you know peace and love type of of stuff that they were that they were promoting boy i it's just not oh it's probably because i have the hyphen on the, on the i just i just name. i thought i just saw a little spider come down by my computer and i slapped it uh-oh well rub it rub it in between your fingers there so um i'm just kidding so uh you're gonna upset some hippies and new agers out there so here's Diego Duran, and he said, and this is out of the History of the Indies of New Spain, page 407. This is a 500-year-old report here. He says, when the festivities had ended, Montezuma seated himself on the supreme place, the divine seat, the place of the gods, and the war captives were brought out. 
All of them were sacrificed in honor of his coronation, a painful ceremony, mm. and it was a pathetic thing to see these wretches as victims of Montezuma. And this is, of course, mm. you know, the idea that this, the country of Mexico is named after the Mexica is disgusting because mm. most of the surrounding tribes retaliated and helped the Spanish overthrow the Mexica because they were so hideous. But mm. uh, continuing on here, it had become as common... Here, I'll just show it on screen. It had become as common among these people to sacrifice men on feast days as it is us as it is for us to kill lambs or cattle in the slaughterhouse. I am not exaggerating. There were days in which 2,000, 3,000, 5,000, or 8,000 men were sacrificed. Their flesh was eaten, and the banquet was prepared with it after the hearts had been offered to the devil. Lord. When the sacrifice was finished, and mind you, this is the entire foundation of what, you know, magic mushroom and psychedelic spirituality is based on, this, mm -hmm. these human sacrifices. When the sacrifice was finished and the steps of the courtyard were bathed in human blood, mm -hmm. everyone went to eat raw mushrooms. With this food, they went out of their minds and were in a worse state than if they had drunk a great quantity of wine. They became so inebriated and witless that many of them took their lives with their own hands. Under the strong influences, influence of these mushrooms, they saw visions and had revelations about the future since the devil spoke to them in their drunken madness. So these, this citation and Modellinia and uh, the Florentine Codex, all of this stuff, and I've got mm -hmm. the, the quotes directly out of the Florentine Codex here. What, what do you think about it? Uh, the occult and the third right, Jean-Michel Angabert, and the, the uh, professor of um, uh, at uh, um, Tennessee School, and Angabert, um, um, Jean-Michel Angabert was the name, joint name of two French scholars, but they said that Hitler had um, taken... Um, mescaline too and, and had gotten some of his visions from from drugs of that type what do you know about I, that i don't know anything about that but interestingly you know lsd did and psilocybin was synthesized but they come out of switzerland you know and i think it's a huge lie that albert hoffman invented lsd i think the invention was sometime around 1918 to 1920 and they passed the invention over to hoffman in 1938 to cover up 20 years of human experimentation that they had been doing. And what was going on in 1918 was they were working very hard to prepare the world for a new messiah named Jiddu Krishnamurti. Right, and well. And not in that crowd. And they, and they honestly thought they were going to pull it off circa 1929. Well, you know, so Jiddu Krishnamurti, of course, he worked with uh, Annie Besant and C.W. Yeah. Lidbetter and she practically raised him right? right you know and he was promoted by the left book club and he was you know part of perennial tradition perennial philosophy he was a big theosophist but he was also good buddies with aldous huxley oh yes and you know none of these scandals go off without you know and some of the people in the audience they used to play a, a drinking game because we'd mentioned the huxley's so often in our research so uh but the the huxley brothers julian and uh aldous huxley constantly show up because they're you know people think that alice huxley's book brave new world uh was prophetic no it was the blueprint you know and mm -hmm. so the the cia based the foundational material of the mk ultra program on his material but 
uh, Jiddu Krishnamurti, you know, one of his one of the quotes he has is, uh, let me see if I can find it here. Is really weird. Knowledge helping man to ascend seems so utterly nonsense to me. In other words, forget your who, what, where, when, why, and how, and shut off your five senses, like in Huxley's book. Uh, doors of perception and the only way you could learn anything was by shutting off the senses of mind and and denying that reality existed and only oh i almost knocked off my mug there and only getting information from inside in other words you couldn't trust anything from your five senses so you know it's it's all of this it's all of this perennial philosophy stuff and an inversion of reality in the bible yeah, very, very simple. In the in the in the, in the Bible, it's uh, you know, oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself; it is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. And uh, you go inside, you don't hardly come up with wisdom, um, at least not in our present state. Yeah. These, um, uh, of course, everything's inverted with these folks just about anyway, and they will cover themselves up. It used to be when the New Age thinking folks would show up when I was speaking out in the West Coast. Uh, you could always tell who they were. They were there to profess how really Christian they were, and they'd be wearing tight, very tight T-shirts and the gals and, and have a little more lipstick on than everybody else and stand there in a provocative pose and, and saying they were really good Christian folks. And they were busy promoting Ram Das, uh, welcome to an evening under the breast of the Divine Mother and, and uh, all other forms of the New Age. So, uh, But they will cover themselves and they will lie with a very straight face some of them are very charming inveterate liars absolutely you know would you like me to read you one more quote out of the florentine codex that extent that sounds exactly like a modern day hippie sure all right let me uh i'm not sure it will help me sleep any better tonight but now let's hear well, it. well it's not it's not about adrenochrome thank goodness so oh thank god okay okay yeah so this is uh from uh the florentine codex book 10 page 55 and book 10 is the people and so this i mean i in my personal opinion the cia used the florentine codex and these ancient reports as part of the blueprint for mk ultra uh, but uh, so the harlot or the carnal woman. The carnal woman is an evil woman who finds pleasure in her body, who sells her body, repeatedly sells her body. An evil young woman or an evil old woman, besotted, drunk, very drunk, very much besotted, dejected, perverse, like a sacrificial victim, a bay slave, a captive, full of affliction, mortal. She consumes her inner substance, a brazen, a proud, a dissolute woman of debauched life, a fraud, gaudy, fastidious, vain, petty. She is oblivious of all of what all know her to be, a petty old woman, a free yielder of herself, a whore from the brothel, a deflowered one, a lascivious old woman of itching buttocks, an old woman of itching buttocks, an aged woman, a flabby old woman, a filthy one, a filthy old dog who brings herself to ruin like a dog. She parades. She moves lasciviously. She is pompous. Wherever, or who, wherever, wheresoever she seduces, howsoever she sets her heart on one, she brings him to ruin. She makes herself beautiful. She arrays herself. She is haughty. 
She appears like a flower, looks gaudy, arrays herself gaudily. She views herself in a mirror, carries a mirror in her hand. She bathe, bathes. She takes a, sweet, a, a sweat bath. She washes herself. She anoints herself with Axon, constantly anoints herself with Axon. She lives like a base slave, acts like a sacrificial victim. She goes about with her head high, rude, drunk, shameless, eating mushrooms. She paints her face, variously paints her face. Her face is covered with rouge. Her cheeks are colored. Her teeth are darkened, rubbed with cochineal. Half of her hair falls loose. Half is wound about her head. She arranges her hair like horns. She goes about haughtily, shamelessly, head high, vain, filthy, given to pleasure. She lives in vice. Well, it doesn't sound very appealing. Flash flash forward 500 years to the uh, Woodstock festivals where everybody's fornicating in the mud to their rock mm-hmm. idols or their, or their graven images. Right. And uh, and then we can see this whole plan roll out, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we're looking at a movement of mass possession. And uh, the people well get into it at, at early levels. And, and then they, like Marilyn Ferguson said, they get to the fair and, and some drop it and don't do anything more with it. And some go on. And uh, I think we're looking at deeper and deeper levels of possession. And fortunately, some people have seen the light and come out of it and uh, stayed out of it. And I've seen other people, I've called them sometimes converts and reverts. Well, I was caught into it for a while. You know, when I started this show 12 years ago, I was interviewing 65 of the world's leading uh, psychedelic experts and writing, transcribing all the interviews into a thousand page book project. And I had interviewed... James Fadiman, and you name it, they were in this Mm -hmm. book project, and the book project is behind me here. Mm -hmm. But uh, two-thirds of the way through the project, when I was checking everyone's citations and doing all the footnoting and editing and all this stuff, I realized that the whole thing was a fraud, and I stopped. And in 2010, I came out against the whole thing, started exposing it, and they have been attacking me ever since. You must be doing something right then. <laughs> right. So you and I are in that in that same uh, club. You know, they've never once addressed my actual research. They only make personal attacks. Is that what they do? Well, that's you? exactly what happens. They they will not address what you what your own research that ad, ad hominem attacks, I think is the phrase. Yeah. Well, there was one who was clever enough to at least, you know, try to, you know, pull up citations and then uh, truncate the, the quotes and then, you know, quote them out of context to try and make spin against me. And he was the only one who kind of did, a you know, a half, uh, halfway decent job of trying to discredit me. But all of these, these guys, you know, I mean, he just, he created entire straw mans of what I actually wrote or, or said or did or events and then played off the straw man. But all these others, they just use ridicule and name calling. Well, and but I'll bet you made some of them think, and you may have made a convert or two along the line that way that you don't even know about. Hopefully so. Well, Constance, you know, we've been going for an hour and 15 minutes already. Um, I'd love to have you back sometime soon. Anytime. So Anytime. Uh, just warn me the next time that this is television and not radio, and I will have my desk cleaned up. <laughs> you know what? Hmm. 
I will have my makeup on too. I, you're lucky I slapped some lipstick on for this one. I don't know why I had. Oh, you know what? Oh. I don't think anybody's judging you. I had a lot of people when they heard I was interviewing you tonight get excited that you were going to be on. So, uh, you know, thank you so much for coming on and we'll have you back soon, maybe in the next few weeks. And uh, I'll look forward to that. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd like to stay in touch with you and uh, okay. sh share research and whatnot. Well, I'm going to sh shoot some materials over to you. And if you would like to do likewise, and maybe you can make me a member of your group. So, <laughs> Well, uh, there's not really a group anymore. There used to be, but now I just kind of have, you know, Facebook posts and stuff that I post up okay. and upset people. But uh, I can send you that link as well. Oh, fantastic. So uh, thanks for your time, and thank you, everybody. Please hit the uh, like and subscribe. Thank you all for the support. Wow, thank you so much, Steve Mercer, for the $50 Super Chat you just put up. Thank you, uh -huh. uh, Kigo P., and uh, thank you, Dashing Rogue, for your support and donations tonight. Greatly appreciate the love and support. And um, we will try to start doing more shows. It just, you know, I've been doing this for 12 years, and I get burned out, and... Uh, you know, uh -huh. I need to take a break to write and research sometimes instead of right. fretting about a show all week. So uh, please throw up your super chats. Go to logosmedia.com and, uh, you know, uh, please support the show. Please share it with your friends and hit the like and, and share it, blah, 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 all that good stuff. Appreciate your time, everyone. Uh, Constance, would you like to give out your contact information or your website absolutely absolutely i have a blog spot uh blogspot.com it's uh, and i also uh, have my books are amazon i just knocked that spider off here again <laughs> wow i think the devil knows it's going to have some in disguise of that spider huh okay my goodness and uh, you know how you despite these spider a place you chase them with vacuum cleaners as soon as i get off the phone that time you just upset you, you just upset every muslim in the audience uh, come come be at come be at gmail.com is my email address if anybody wants to contact me and if they'd like to download my book and not clutter themselves with more paper go over to internet archive or archive.org and and pull it down from there when the new agers started putting their things up there i fight fire with fire and i was never in it for the money anyway so i said here folks you can you can have it you can copy it you can burn copies of it you can make copies of it just don't edit it and just don't sell it for profit right and so people can go pull it down over there and read it the way it looks and 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 just so people know up on the logos media website uh i uh put links to both your blog and uh your book and i will get those over to the uh to to the youtube channels as well so people oh, can fantastic. just go to the notes and okay. I'll, I'll get that done right now because people are going to be clicking down there in about five seconds looking oh, for it and it won't be there so okay very good all right thank you so much constance i'll talk to you again soon you too john thanks so much you're welcome and thank